0: You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today we return to the monthly series, Back to the Future, in which we discuss the renewed interest in cooking and baking at home. Today, we're speaking with Pat Crocker, author and member of the Culinary Historians of Canada about becoming an author and home canning. Welcome, Pat. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Peggy. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. I'm so excited to hear all the wonderful things that you have to share with me and our listeners. Pat, you have 1.5 million books in print. That's really an incredible accomplishment for any author. And I'm just wondering where it all started. When did you first dream of and then ultimately decide to become a writer?
1: The, the dream started very early. I mean, the first idea to even think about writing a cookbook came when I, I was on sabbatical from teaching high school home economics. And I was writing food copy i was developing recipes for food companies and advertising agencies and i was doing all of the sort of little bits and pieces involved in promoting and and talking about food and food brands that's where the dream to write my own cookbook came along and i would go on to create a public relations agency i would then sell that business have a baby and move to the country but i never lost the urge to write and develop recipes for a cookbook
0: that's such a wonderful evolution that it was always in your heart and you had things that were similar to the content you were creating and then when did you actually go i'm going to do it and get started and and also then it's a process it's a lot of work what keeps you going
1: To answer the first part, if you know in your heart and you hold something in, the law of synchronicity will eventually kick in. And so my opportunity to write my first cookbook dropped in out of the blue. We were living in the country, as I said, and I was uh, already engaged in growing herbs, writing about herbs and healing foods. And at the same time, I was running a little company called Riversong Herbals, which was just a seasonal business. And um, I had developed original recipes that used the herbs that we had found on our herb walk. So, but at the same time, my husband, who is also a freelance artist, he's a, a freelance illustrator, actually, he happened to be working for a new book publisher, and they were looking for a book idea. So he just said, well, I've got the perfect person for you. My wife wants to write a book. And in my first book, Recipes from Riversong, using herbs and lean green cooking was birthed. As far as what keeps me going, I think is the passion and love for herbs and healthy food. That's what keeps me going.
0: That's really wonderful to hear that whole evolution and how, you know, you can work towards it, reach towards it, dream about it. And then all of a sudden, if you don't give up, something will happen. And so I think that in my opinion, you do see that in your books, just the beautiful presentation, um, the messaging that you see that it is coming from your basic purpose and what you really want to share with others and help them learn and grow and take into their own lives or their own families or their homes, whatever that you have to offer that resonates with them and they might tweak it a little bit and make it their own. So it's a kind of a co-creative process. It takes a life of its own once you get your book out there. So you said it. You yeah. just said it all. Yeah. Yes. It, that's just really inspiring. I know there's probably a lot of listeners who are thinking about starting to share some of their expertise and knowledge and not sure where to start. But I think the advice to not give up, to keep that dream going. That's really, really wonderful. And you've got an incredible range in your books, Pat, from cooking with a tagine to vegan meals and flexitarian recipes. Where do you get all your inspiration for so many books and so many recipes?
1: most of my books after the very first book, and I never dreamed I would write any more than that first book, they're really a result of a suggestion by a publisher. Publishers who have identified a topic or a niche in the market, they'll come to me now with a topic that they'd like to explore. As you say, my passion is herbs, and it's herbs because herbs are, I look at them as food, as healing food. And healing food is sort of the, the overarching theme of, of all of everything that I do. That is my initial inspiration. And I've never lost that overarching theme of, of health.
0: Wonderful. So the end purpose really is this good life, yeah, healthy, nourished bodies. Process then, Pat, once you have this idea and then getting a beautiful book to the shelf, what happens in between just the higher sort of level steps? It's, I'm sure, a long process and um, there's a lot of critical points along the way.
1: I'll give you the, like, sort of the broad perspective. There's two things involved there. So I always start with the table of contents. You know, I spend a lot of time at this stage because this is a roadmap to a book. It keeps me on track. You know, when you've got a book contract, you've got a deadline. You may have 12 months, you may have six months. If you've developed a, a, a phenomenal table of content, depending on the number of chapters, I've got six or 12 or eight or 10 um, little mini deadlines. But on a daily basis, I, I have a really structured approach to writing. I'm always up at six o'clock. I either meditate or I work online with a spiritual teacher. And and then I stop and have breakfast with my my husband and our dog Alfie. But by 8 a.m. I'm at my desk, the door is closed, and I am facing the computer and I write for four hours with no distractions, no interruptions. As you know, writing requires long stretches of uninterrupted time you have to give yourself the gift of quiet solitude and time after after those four hours and it's like you think sort of oh my gosh four hours that's not very long but it's enough it's enough
0: Wow. What a process you have to produce or create every single day. And it can be exhausting. You were talking about original ideas, something new. And one of the things that I I love in your books, Pat, uh, particularly right now with your book, Preserving, which we'll talk about after the break, the photography is so appealing. It just looks juicy, farm fresh. The images are wonderful. Why do pictures matter so much in cookbooks?
1: I look at a book, it's like a brand. And for me, a brand reflects your values and your relationship to food, but it all gets communicated through the page layout, the design of the book, the colors even that that are chosen throughout the book. And of course, the photographs. When we look now at uh, photographs. Those photographs are as just as you describe them. And, and somebody else said, you know, we eat with our eyes first, and and that's that's what photography does. Is it kind of fulfills that uh, satiating
0: aspect. So it, it brings together this this unity, the harmony of the entire unit. The book is yeah. a beautiful message, fantastic recipes, great photography. And so all of the principles and elements of design and, and art are present in yeah. many ways. So long process and a lot of work, but very, very rewarding. And I'm wondering, what are some of the biggest challenges that food authors face today, Pat?
1: having a following or a platform from which you can have an influence on the sales of your book is something that publishers are looking for and that can be a challenge because if you've got a fabulous idea but you you don't have a blog or you don't you know you you don't have a social media presence and it is unfortunate that, that this platform or this idea that uh, you have to take responsibility for the, how many books you sell, so it can be a challenge. The other personal challenge, once you've got that book and you've got the, you know, you've written it, it can be shattering to go through the editing process. There are sometimes really extreme, and food editors, you know, to be fair, they're anticipating the kinds of questions that readers would have. So they're they're actually there for you. But sometimes it can be daunting. The language, the structure, the format of writing recipes. I mean, you have to be consistent with every single recipe.
0: It really does. I think we're kind of back to the beginning of the dialogue, which is to love your message, you have to really want to get it out there. And that be persistent, and that it will, um, if you keep at it, the challenges will can be overcome. Yeah, I, I think that's really, really, really great. What are some of the highlights or greatest successes you've experienced as a cookbook author?
1: one of the most rewarding experience for me is is just dialoguing with people who just confirm that what you're doing is actually reaching people, that it's having an effect, and they're they're either they have it might be generating some questions, but they're involved with you in your book. Those kinds of things where you get that one-on-one feedback is is you know there's very few i i guess there's a lot of other careers where you can get that but this
0: is one of them that's that's really wonderful to everyone and i've certainly enjoyed that pat thank you so much after the break we'll hear more from pat crocker renowned cookbook author about home canning and her practical informative book preserving you're listening to food for the future i'm your host peggy o'neill home economist
1: Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980cfpl.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill.
0: We're speaking about home canning with Pat Crocker, renowned author of the cookbook, Preserving, available at Indigo and Amazon online bookstores. Pat, why do you think people have a renewed interest in traditional food preparation methods and in particular home canning?
1: Well, I think, well, I know that we all need to survive and I also know that we could be eating to thrive. Home canning was born out of a while, I mean, early on in Canada's history, it was born out of a practical need to keep food safely over the long winters. But now in 2021, I think we're putting a modern twist to that ancient seasonal necessity. We're looking at new ways, creative ways of of going back to those ancient forms of preserving food and sometimes rewriting recipes that our grandmothers treasured. So I, I think it's a great process to go back to those traditional food ways.
0: It is interesting to shift to a thriving uh, viewpoint and that food helps us thrive. Really, really a important viewpoint. And I think that one of the things that you offer is something for everyone. And in your book, Preserving, you provide recipes for beginners all the way through to more advanced methods. And can you give us a little bit of overview of your content in your book, Preserving?
1: Yeah, the book is is based around the Four Seasons. So it it gives some interesting recipe combinations of flavors. I I looked at some traditional jams and jellies and chutneys, but I also brought in some new flavors and some new ideas based on those uh, traditional preserving recipes. But, But the other practical part of the book is that I give you recipes for how to use the condiments. So how to use those jams, jellies, dips and sauces in other recipes. So on those nights when all you want to do is pull out a jar out of the cupboard or a bag out of the freezer, you've got a homemade product and you can have a recipe for incorporating that product into a delicious appetizer, a main course, or a dessert. So it's not just that you're you're making preserves. I'm showing you how to use them take them out of the cupboard in January or February and, and use them with a the chicken or a plant-based dish.
0: That's fantastic to see that thought that went into the seasonality but also the life cycle of a product, that it's not just one thing, but here's how you can use it beyond what you might already have thought of. And that's very helpful as well and very creative. It's it's a great base book, the preserving book, for anyone interested in just learning more about it or just getting started and being inspired by new ways to do things or going back to the future, which is part of this series. Uh, Another important factor in home canning and preserving is safety. And there are some precautions that people should keep in mind if they're considering home canning. And can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Thank you for mentioning this. It's, it is important. And from a home canning standpoint, there are two types of foods, those that are low acid and those that are high in acid. And some examples of low-acid foods would be meats, dairy products, all the cheeses, um, most vegetables, with the exception of tomatoes, which are high in acid. So all of those foods I just mentioned are low-acid foods. And all fruit is high in acid. So uh, why am I telling you this? It's because low-acid foods must be canned under pressure. using uh, And you have to use a pressure canner and uh, that pressure canner must be able to consistently hold the temperature of the food inside the jar at a predetermined temperature for a certain length of time. So on the other hand, foods that are high in acid, they can be safely preserved just by using a, a simple technique called the water bath method of canning, where you fill the jars, put the, the two piece lids on, submerge them in boiling water, and boil them for 10 minutes, take them out, then they can be safely stored without any kind of refrigeration. Because what you've done through that process, and you do it in pressure canning as well, um, is that the air is taken out and the lids are hermetically sealed, which means then that no air and bacteria can get in to to deteriorate the, the food.
0: That's really important advice, understanding the acid level and also just the precaution that it is something you do need to have a bit of skill, Um, not that it's impossible to acquire the skill, but you have to have a little bit of know-how. And I think that that's really important. I know the government of Canada has some guidelines for uh, home canning safety, and so there's some great tips uh, on that website. Uh, So with that technique needed, I'm wondering how does someone get started, Pat, in home canning and what's an easy food to work with?
1: Remember I said that even though they're a vegetable, tomatoes are high in acid. So tomatoes can be safely preserved using the water bath method. And they're bursting with vitamin C. Um, they, They are a key ingredient in winter sauces and soups and stews and they're abundant and therefore less expensive right now, right at, uh, you know, August and into September, we are going to have great tomatoes to work with. They're easy to work with, and this is why they make such a great entree into home canning is because you can simply wash them, core them, cut them into quarters, fill preserving jars to within a half an inch, the quarters and their juices, and, add a tablespoon of bottled lemon juice. And this is where the acid level is confirmed. If you always add a tablespoon of bottled lemon juice to whatever tomato recipe you're canning, then this is going to ensure a constant acid level. And, and it's bottled. It's not, out of a, it's not out of a lemon, interestingly, because that bottled lemon juice gives you that consistent amount of ascorbic acid, which is the preserver. And, and then you just um, cap them, process them in a uh, boiling water bath for 10 minutes. It's a really easy way to, to start to take that first step in home canning.
0: You can just see that you love this subject, Pat, and you are just so inspiring to hear about framing your message and powering through and all just the insider tips that you've provided in a short time we've had together. I'm wondering what's your favorite home canning recipe and how do you serve it?
1: I love chili sauce. Um, it's got the right amount of sweetness and yet savory. And I use the, the recipe that's in the book is is one that my husband's aunt Ruth made every year. And it's full of onions and peppers and tomatoes that she would grow from her huge garden. And so that recipe brings really lovely um, memories for for him and therefore for me as well. If you've got it on the shelf, you can serve it as a salsa dip for corn chips or use it in an easy nacho recipe. Chicken and chili is a great combination. So chili sauce is kind of top of the list for me.
0: (laughs) It's making me hungry. I've just eaten and I really want to have some chili sauce right now. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Pat, I wish we had more time. I would talk to you all day. I'm wondering, do you have any final comments to share with listeners about becoming a cookbook author or about home canning?
1: Well, you know, if you have the dream to write, hold that dream and and sometimes understand that just holding the dream will make it happen the intention and that you can you can let go of the need to keep working towards the dream that if you just hold the dream and detach it it will float into your reality when the time is right for it to float in and write every day uh, if, if that's what you want to do. Explore your niche, get into the kitchen, develop new recipes, or, and keep a bound book of your notes and your recipes where everything is there rather than keeping things on little scraps of paper. I, I think that's helpful.
0: That's wonderful, Pat. And thank you so much for our conversation today. And you're a wealth of knowledge and inspiration to aspiring authors and to home canners. And I'm very glad books like yours, Preserving, is available to help us all contribute to a flourishing food system at home and beyond. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, It's been my pleasure. We're, We're really, really happy to have had you. Thank you very, very much. Today on Food for the Future, we've been speaking with Pat Crocker, cookbook author and member of the Culinary Historians of Canada. Each week we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? Why do you think home canning is an important skill to preserve? Something to do? Go to the Government of Canada's website on home canning safety to get more information about cleaning equipment, storage, and more before you start. Next week on Food for the Future, we'll discuss food insecurity and education. We'll be speaking with Cassie Brunsfeld from Agscape, an Ontario organization that provides agriculture, farming, and food system information to teachers and students. I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of the weekly show, Food for the Future. Thank you to our platinum-level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980cfpl.ca.